This episode of Cake and Kombucha is brought to you by Wendy's. Wendy's. We don't know why you'll need them, but we'll take your money. We would sit and talk for hours about anything. Baby, you hang up. No, you hang up. On three, hang up. I bought your whip. I paid your rent. I gave you everything. Then you don't wait be my baby. Then you must. How you do? How you gonna up and leave me now? How you gonna act like that? How you gonna change it up? We just finished making up. How you gonna act like that? How you gonna act like we don't be making love? You know we be tearing it up, breaking stuff that get on love. How you gonna trip? How could you forget? And how you gonna act like that? <laughs> are you are you doing like that, Tyrese? How you gonna act like that? That's a word, isn't it? A word on this beautiful Thursday morning. It's a sermon. It's a question that I have for a lot of you. Hopefully, probably not a lot of the people that will be listening to this show. But hey. Maybe maybe you need to show it to your, your ancient cousin and, and ask him, how are you going to act like that? But we'll get into that. Before we just start reading bitches, that's a kind of an aggressive way to start. Let me say welcome. Welcome to Cake and Kombucha, episode eight. I am your host, Kilechi Azia. Cake and Kombucha is a place where we talk about current events, news, politics, reality TV, social media, utter nonsense, all through the eyes of your host, a wacky Nigerian-American actress in New York. We here at Cake and Kombucha, and by we I mean the collective we because it is a solo podcast where I sometimes have guests. We are intellectuals who like a mess. We, we, you know, nothing here is false, but uh, she knows how to research, first of all. Don't get that twisted. But, you know, it's, it's heavily dosed with my musings. Yes, I did switch from we to she, and I was, I was talking about me. And it's fine, because I can do that. No one else is here. I'm here in my apartment. It's fine. So, this, this week is going to be a little heavy, because the news has been heavy. But... I'm hoping it's also interesting, and I've tried to find a few spots to add levity where I can. And to do so, we're just going to launch into a story about divorce. (laughs) The things I find funny maybe aren't so funny. But um, this is a pop culture story found on TMZ. So Tyrese, who... You know, How You Gonna Act Like That is a Tyrese song. Come on, guys. That was the intro. You see how it's tied in? You see how I did that? So Tyrese and his wife, um, his ex-wife, are fighting about their daughter. They are battling about whether she can go to soccer practice. Um, According to TMZ.com, Tyrese had refused, saying her grades weren't up to snuff and she should focus on academics. Sounds kind of solid for someone who has a Benihana in his backyard named like Tyrese Hanna. I kid you not. You you can look it up. But Norma, his ex-wife, countered saying Shayla is emotionally devastated. She's not allowed to play. Shayla's 11. Adding that her grades are good enough. Norma says, and this is in quotes, it got to the point where Shayla cries, feels humiliated, and does not want to go to school. Okay, so I think that's ridiculous. Uh, I'm sorry, it made me laugh. I don't like to think of kids crying. I'm not a mean person. But what do you mean she's devastated and embarrassed that she can't do an extracurricular activity that's totally voluntary? This is just doing too much. Like, people are, they're doing too much. Um, Then I continue to say, this argument isn't the first of its kind. Back in October, Norma wanted Shayla to play basketball, but Tyrese refused. He eventually relented. Norma claims Tyrese also refused to let Shayla participate in a school play, saying it cost too much money. He agreed to let her do it when Norma agreed to pay half. Tyrese says he never objected to Shayla participating in the school play, especially because it was within school hours. The sports programs, however, are after school, and he wanted Shayla to spend that time with tutors. Okay, I have to say, 
Tyrese is winning if any of this is actually true with his focus on the academia and getting her getting her grades up there. And I say that even as someone that went into the performing arts. But can I say what kind of school does she go to? That's so cool that if the play is during school hours, like that's really awesome. I don't have anything to say about um, the fact that he said the school play was too expensive and that his ex-wife had to pay half because, again, you have a Benihana in your backyard. So maybe some of the proceeds to the smoking from the smoking onion rings could go towards her her costume. I don't know. I also was just like, what kind of class is it? It's like... This, the school plays during the day, but you have to pay for it, so it's like not funded by the school. That's really weird. You see what the kind of tangents we get on if you're a new listener, so I'm just going to wrap that story up here. I, find, I, found it, I found it lighthearted compared to everything else we're going to get into. Okay, next, someone who really tried it. A French author, French author Yann Moi, says women over 50 are too old to fall in love with. He'd rather, so he's 50. I mean, obviously, I don't know. When I started, the first thing you should have thought when I said that was that he's 50 and unattractive, and you'd be right. He said, uh, he'd rather date women at least 10 years younger than him, and only those who are Asian, particularly those who are Korean, Chinese, or Japanese. That didn't. Those was, that was hard to say in a French accent. Yes, so he'd rather date women. Nothing super specific, guys. Just only three countries, only three Asian countries, and ten years ten years younger than him at least. He said, "I prefer younger women's bodies. That's all." Jan told Marie Claire's French edition, "The body of a twenty-five-year-old woman is extraordinaire. The body of a f- woman of fifty is not extraordinary at all." Okay. Oh, he said he was in, incapable, incapable of loving a woman over 50, commenting, that is not possible, too, too old. Okay, here's what I have to say. Nobody wants you. That's what I have to say. I don't know why. If you've been here from the beginning, then you've heard me rant about this before. It's always the people who look like a foot that have the most specifications. I clicked on his picture. This man... His eyes are so close together. Honestly, not to be funny, he really does look like a French bulldog. I don't I don't even know French bulldogs are really from France. I'm not saying that part to be cute. I say a lot of things to be cute, but he genuinely, if you were to pick an animal looks like a French bulldog, which is a cute, cute, cute look on a on a little dog, but not the best on a man. I, I don't get it. Nobody asked for this. Nobody asked you. And like, so of course the backlash has been fierce. There's one author that just really went above and beyond and posted. Her name is Jean-Francois Guillot. She, she posted her butt. Oh no, no, that's, that's a man. Jean is a man. There's a journalist, Colombe Schenk, 52. She, she posted a picture of her butt on Instagram and it's smooth and really nice. Her skin looks supple. Um, she was like, this is what you're missing. I, I think that's, that's just like a level. That's like a super Saiyan level. Like, Hey, you don't think I'm cute. Here's my butt. Like, okay, girl, you did that. But I mean, other things that I would have perhaps leaned towards first, which is what other people did was list people like Halle Berry, who's 50 now. Um, Julianne Moore's like 56 or something. Uh, I think, is Sandra Bullock 50 yet? Um, let me look at this list. Oh, Julie Moore's 58, slang. Lucy Liu's 50, stunning. Oh, and East Asian. Like, this dude is wiling. I don't know how an intelligent or self-aware person... I mean, you can, you can have your preferences, but you have to know that you sound a little bit ridiculous. And then it's also, like, then the level of, like, do, do you have to share... There, there's always that there's always that we always we often come back to this like oh this is a thing you might be thinking but did anyone ask you to say it no and then I just feel like I don't I feel like really attractive men don't have all these qualifications like they don't usually I feel like confident people can feel confidently like they will just you know find what they want, seek what they want, like what they, what they need and what will come to them. 
And they don't have to make announcements and they're not insecure. So they don't feel like, oh, if I don't have someone that looks like a trophy on my arm, then it's, it's going to bring me down. Like if his eyes weren't so close together, he might be like, you know what? This, this 70 year old is a bad bitch and I'm going to take her to prom with me. I don't know. I'm rambling, but you get my point. It's, it's just this imbalance that is hilarious. And you, you just, you dig, you're digging yourself into holes and I don't like to talk about how people look, but I'm, I'm going to talk about you if you say misogynistic stuff like that. We live in house of cards. We live in House of Cards season six, to be exact. I mean, it's it's really funny because when I got back from vacation last week, I was just in the mood for something. What did I just finish watching? I just wanted something really high stakes and exciting. I think I had watched I had two episodes saved of Dirty John, and I was like, I need something high stakes, exciting, disturbing. And I really had been postponing turning on the last um, House of Cards season because I just felt like... I I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to expect without Kevin Spacey there. Um, And it was great. I mean, it was just some like Shakespearean and also like, well, no, that's still Shakespearean, like breaking the fourth wall. They talk, yeah, monologues are direct address. Yeah, talking to the audience, like, but so much and so self aware and you know, Claire fires like the entire cabinet and hires all women and just these boss crazy moves and very much like playing into the fact that the female supporting character is now in the lead. And, and, you know, it was, it was really good. And they took things straight from the headlines. Like there was a special prosecutor called, et cetera. But Claire, Basically, she ca- creates some sort of missile crisis at, oh, for the purpose of like distracting from the, her messy personal life. And then, you know, come Monday, or sorry, come yesterday, which was Tuesday, we basically have the same thing happening. Trump interrupts our regularly scheduled programming, gets on there to have a, f- you know, let a fight play out that really is something that was already going on, but telling the American people about it. He lies, he exaggerates, and then Chuck Schumer follows and is like, he used the backdrop of the Oval Office. And I was like, wait a minute, does he mean backdrop or does he actually mean dude is at Mar-a-Lago sitting in front of a backdrop? I cackled. Like, I actually don't know which one is true, but I would love it to be that he actually is in front of a backdrop because that would make it that much better. But... I mean, I I saw a Facebook post saying, you know, yes, the educative uh, of us like know that, you know, the president's lying and we're like laughing, but it's a bubble. And I'm in Lima, Ohio, and people actually believe the things that he said. (sighs) There is no crisis. There's no border crisis. Illegal immigration across the border is actually down is a fact, number one. Number two is the most prevalent type of illegal immigration is the type of people that come and overstay their visas. All the people that I know that do that are white people. And I'm a whole ass half immigrant. Like I know a lot of Canadians that do that. It's this entire picture that he's painting is is false. Immigrants commit fewer crimes than native born Americans, which just makes sense because when you go somewhere else, you don't really just act up and while out because you don't want to get sent back. I mean, it was all such utter nonsense, but just very sad to see these racist nationalist tropes like a race racist, you know, the wall was a racist ploy because you knew what your base liked and they like racism. Sorry. They do. It's a fact. I I don't have anything to say about your grandpa, your grandma and their reasons, whatever. But if you, if you, you're not bothered by racism, if you voted for him, so he made up this like or garnered some more popularity. And now we have a government shutdown because you need to double down on this lie because you need to deliver on a campaign promise that was actually based on bullshit anyway. Like it's so even down, not to get very, very like super, you know, radical, but even like hearing him talking about talking about drugs 
you know, proliferating across the border. And like, that's because of our, the war on drugs that we're having, that we have in the United States and our drug laws is what's making Mexico such an unsafe place to be anyway, because if we didn't have, you know, if drugs were legal, then people wouldn't be chopping each other's heads off over that. I'm just saying, but that's, but, but that's another story. You ain't heard that from me. So anyway, that was a hot mess. I guess that will be the third hot mess. I'm not even going to delve into it any deeper than that. Um, but because you can you can get the full scoop elsewhere. But I just wanted to, you know, provide you with that very relevant connection to television shows. <laughs> and we'll be back. So the story that we're going to spend the majority of the podcast on is something that has taken Uh, It's destroying friendships and Facebook timelines. There is a documentary called Surviving R. Kelly out on Lifetime right now. Um, Actually, in an interesting kind of snapshot of society, it's so for my like Facebook timeline, my Twitter feed, etc. It's all anyone's been talking about debates, anger, tears, etc. And so people are posting things like, if you support R. Kelly, don't talk to me, just delete me, blah, blah, blah. And then I saw a, like a white friend right underneath that. What happened? Has R. Kelly done something? So they weren't aware of the documentary. But yeah, it's just like, this is either the only thing you've been talking about, or you're completely unaware of its existence, depending on your demographic. Um, but it is what we're going to be talking about today. So I actually do have an R. Kelly anecdote. You know, this bitch has an anecdote for everything. Yes, we do. I I like to keep the podcast a little personal. But so I was in L.A. at the W Hotel on Industry Night, which is Sundays when like a lot of actors, uh, performers, people come out and there's like an open mic night. And so R. Kelly was just there. Everyone's like, R. Kelly's here. R. Kelly's here. He was like in the corner and he jumped on stage and started singing and it was just one of those annoying moments where you're like why does this person who's like evil personified have to have great music and so I'm just like giving him a side eye but like you know he's a great performer and that is as we'll get into how he has gotten by for so long and been excused for his heinous crimes um, so later after the, sh- after it was over way too early, cause I like things close at like two in the morning as a New Yorker, I don't get it. I'm like, where are we going next? What we, what we do, what are we getting into? But so we're outside and my friends and I, uh, my one girlfriend and I were taking pictures of each other, being each other's hype women and paparazzi, you know, trying to help each other out for the gram. And his security guards ran up to us and told us to move. And like that we couldn't take pictures. And we were like completely unaware he was still in the area. They like ran into our picture to tell us we couldn't take pictures. And we were like, we're not trying to take pictures of him. Relax. Um, but yeah, he didn't want our adult looking asses. He he was not. He was he wasn't interested. We didn't get selected. Um, this is Gallo's humor. I'm going to try to insert some levity into this because it's very dark. But I did see him, like, ushering some women who did look like they were of age, like, um, into his giant bus that didn't even look, like, fancy. It was just kind of, I was just like, all right. Um, But at the time, even I didn't know um, the depth of the kind of things that were going on currently. So this documentary starts with, uh, it starts with his, you know, childhood, actually, and alludes to some abuse in his past, some sexual abuse, the fact that he's illiterate. And um, I'm, I was happy it didn't dwell on those things for too long because I don't like when documentaries about evil people are like, and then, you know, the kids teased him at school. And so then he became a serial killer. Of course. Like I have, I listened to a podcast that was kind of like that about some murder and I actually had to turn it off because they were spending so much time analyzing his childhood like tribulations which were kind of like a two on the Richter scale and I was like okay relax you don't have to humanize everyone to this extent like he's human because he's a human but the rest is like 
So the documentary consists of a lot of interviews and that paint a really clear narrative of the kind of sexual deviancy and crimes that R. Kelly has been up to. It includes interviews with his brother, one of whom is in prison but has blue contacts on, who at one point um, said that he didn't understand why the other brother didn't just take the $100,000 he was offered, $100,000 and like a development deal for a song in exchange for not in exchange for saying, like discrediting one of the victims. Um, and he said, I just, to this day, I don't understand why he wouldn't take the $100,000. He'd be rich. At this point, I screamed at the television, that's why you're in jail. Like legit, like I, I do talk back to the TV just like I talk at the movies, okay. And I couldn't, I could not believe that. So basically just... Um, we're not going to be talking about like the documentary as literally as the like information within it and kind of just what that means and how people have been um, absorbing it and what pe- what the response has been. Um, but so to give everyone an overview of R. Kelly's crimes really briefly, um, it started when he was, you know, very popular, successful recording artist in the 90s. He took Aliyah under his wing and she was his protege. She was 12 when they started working together. And when she was 15 and he was 27, his assistant um, actually was the one who forged their forged her papers so they could get married um, and forged the paperwork into saying that she was 18. And that assistant, Demetrius, I don't remember his last name, is actually on the documentary, which is really interesting and another theme of just how many people had to be complicit in what was going on for for R. Kelly to get away with so many things and to continue to get away with them. So it started out with Aaliyah, continue on to a litany of teenage girls over the years, including Sparkle, who, if you might remember her from like, she had that song, When a Woman's Fed Up, and I think Laundromat, or was that Nevaeh? No, just one, I don't remember the rest of them, but Another singer that worked with R. Kelly and they did duets together, she brought her niece um, to work with him, but but was intending to keep an eye on her. But R. Kelly, you know, got to this girl, influenced her, and her niece ended up being in their one of their sex tapes together. And that was the whole urination incident um, where he was peeing on a 14-year-old. And so he went to court for that in 2008 and those for child pornography charges and those were so that was his resurgence as this kind of figure who was known for the deviancy but because he escaped being charged he kind of started using this wacky sexuality and becoming more outrageous with it and kind of throwing it in our faces and and just rode that wave so he's someone who's had these allegations swirling about him for a long time but has never had to face true retribution. Then you fast forward to today and the past two years, I believe, and basically it comes out that he has a, you know, a house, a den, a sex dungeon ring of young ladies who allegedly are brainwashed. I think it was referred to as a cult in the media, but you had parents that were trying to sue him to get their kids back and the problem was that these young women who are being kept by him are 17 so a lot of them were the age of consent uh, which is another important part of this conversation so um, you had a lot of those victims were interviewed in the documentary and so they could tell you firsthand what they went through by him the extreme abuse being forced to perform sex acts with other women on videotape with him, things they found degrading. Um, He systematically broke them down mentally. First, he charmed them. He was, everyone said he was charming and charismatic. Then once he garnered their trust, he'd, and a different speed with this part, depending on you know, how willing they were, how influential they were, he'd have sex with them, start making them do things they weren't comfortable with. He withheld food from people, move them into a house, starve them, beat them, uh, videotape them. Um, he would not let people, everyone across the board said that 
he didn't doesn't allow the women to look people into the eye. They can't speak to anyone. They have to have their eyes down. He controlled every aspect of their lives. They had to ask him for permission to go to the bathroom. He took their phones, forbid them from talking to their family, et cetera, et cetera. So I think these are all not great things. You would think we would be able to agree that this is not good, whether a woman decided to date you or not. If you start beating her and starving her and locking her up, that's not so nice. But it seems like this is something that we ha- that's also like under contention too. And I'm really interested in how that part gets shoved under the rug of everything else. Um, so we're going to break it down bit by bit. Wendy's is a proud sponsor of Cake and Kombucha. At Wendy's, we send you five new pairs of underwear each month under one simple subscription. We don't know why you need this much underwear or where you'll store it. But since you like to get things you don't need in the mail, we're here to help. Wendy's are underwear. You could buy your underwear at the mall or even five in a pack at CVS. That's really all. Then you put them on your butt. But Wendy's are sent directly from our sweatshops in Thailand to your home. Our customer satisfaction is unparalleled. Again, our underwear is regular underwear. You put it on your butt. It's not seamless, moisture wicking, and ladies, I'm pretty sure you'll have a pretty significant panty line. But if you like to go sledding down a dry hill with no pants and no sled, or wrestle on gravel, or perhaps you never learned how to wipe front to back and you drink lots of Metamucil, you're going to need those extra five pairs a month and what better way than to get them delivered to your home. Go to wendys.com and use exclusive discount Cake Booty to receive 2% off your first pair for $17.99 or 5% off the five pack for a total of $89.95. So I think the R. Kelly topic is an incendiary one because it really, it kind of is an intersection of a lot of different topics that we as a society either haven't fully dealt with or we traditionally just don't deal with well um, or we're still evolving on issues like consent, domestic violence, rape, uh, racism or misogyny against black women. Me too. Hashtag me too. Um, so the, the simplest thing, like the wokest thing that you can say to be like, I am right. I'm a good person is R. Kelly raped children. He should be canceled. He should be under the jail. And he should be. He should be. Absolutely. Um, but I also th- want, I have been racking my brain to try to understand more why people have a hard time getting to this conclusion and being grossed out that he still has supporters and things like that. And I wanted to understand. And one of the things I realized making it more difficult for some people is that these girls were teenagers. So I do think if he had, you know, child pornography of, a, of like four-year-olds on his computer, there would be this clear line that people could draw. But it's interesting that he chose people who were you know, 14 and then 15, 16. And, and b- recently he's always been doing 17. So right on the cusp of what is legal in a lot of states or us- is usually the age of consent. Um, and so I, I started by looking up like, what is pedophilia? Um, and I learned a new word, which I cannot pronounce. So don't ask me. Just kidding. It's a podcast. I have to try. Um, Ephebophilia. Ephebophilia, which means a sexual attraction to adolescents ranging from 15 to 19. This is from the Greek word ephebos, meaning one arrived at puberty. Um, there's also teleophiles, who these are people attracted to uh, people 17 years of age and older. Teleos meaning full grown. And so that's, we have like, oh, pedophilia has different like segments within it. And then I was like, wait, what's a child? And I asked a pediatrician, what, what is, I asked, I asked my mom, what, so what is a child? When is the age of sexual maturity in women? And she said that it's a range and, um, you know, there's no like one answer, but womanhood is not as kind of like I even thought, like I thought it was this combination of like, 
your age and your sexual maturity, but like womanhood is just, it's just a concept. Like in science, they use the Tanner scale, which is a scale for sexual development. Um, it measures, you know, it measures physical development and children, adolescents and adults and not measures rather defines them. Um, based on external and primary and secondary sex characteristics, such as the size of breasts, genitals, testicular volume, which, when is the last time you you measured the volume of your testicles, male male listeners? I can't say that I'm familiar with how one does that. Um, But the point is that when you have, you know, your breasts, your hips, eh, or, and you can, you know, give birth and you're menstruating, like, you're you one could say that you're a woman you've reached sexual maturity and I and I even was like okay but you know you don't look the same no you don't look the same at 17 at 25 as you do at 35 but that's some of that that's just aging we're humans and we age you know gravity is gonna bring those tatas downward so then then that was like okay so some people and because you know you you he you hear people talk about teenagers or young girls and like there's just not some magical line between 19 and 20 or 17 and 18. So then we have statutory rape laws, which are put in place <clears throat> to protect, you know, because we recognize that there is a point which your your brain is just not as developed. Emerging scientific research is suggesting that people's brains don't reach full maturity until the age of 25, which is quite late if you think about it. So I think the age of consent and statutory rape laws are kind of designed to be this combination of just what's appropriate for society at the time. Like, this is a good time to get out the house. You're done with secondary schooling. And you can, you know, we think that you can make decisions for yourself a little better. And I don't think everyone is, I'm not saying that, you know, laws are always correct, but I do say for the people that are supporting him, like, you know, just, you could start there. You could start with, he's a criminal. You could start there, but they don't, they won't. So what do we have? We have someone who is not like attracted to like small, small children, but he is specifically targeting this group that has secondary sex characteristics. Their sexuality is developing. They're interested. Teenagers are horny. And yet their brains are kind of like that of children. They're not fully making, you know, fully making the best decisions. They're impulsive. And he is getting in on that vulnerable time and using his celebrity to to trap people and pull them in. And, you know, it's, it's basically comes down to the fact that like you as a kid, as a teenager, you're horny, you have your little fantasies, you have your crushes, you can do that. But an adult is not supposed to sleep with you. They're the, supposed to be the ones to say no and pull the plug on that. And that is what I'm seeing missing from a lot of these online conversations. You know, I saw people that I went to high school with talking about, well, you remember when so-and-so used to have the 25-year-olds waiting outside and come and pick them up, and then they would buy them sneakers and da-da-da. And I'm like, that doesn't make it right. Just because you weren't protected, just because you were allowed to do this or you snuck and did something and you wanted to, the adult is not supposed to want to do it with you. I liken it to the idea that toddlers, they may want to eat household cleaning products. That doesn't mean that you give it to them. It's It sounds dumb, but it's really that simple. And so why are we imbuing all of this responsibility onto children, teenagers, whatever you want to call it, people who are not legally able to make these decisions yet. And, but I know why, haha, I'm going to answer the question that I asked. The answer is because they're girls and because they're black girls. It's really sad, but we paint women as these Jezebel, you know, Lilith, harlots, temptresses from the time that they're like, you know, two years old I'm being facetious, but you know, everything that we, you, I do as a woman that we do as a woman is we're a temptation for men, right? We're, we can't just live our lives and exist and explore our sexuality the way boys do. We are, you know, we're jail bait, right? We're out to get, we are a temptation to everyone just walking around minding our business. And so, and with black girls, it's even worse, you know, study, we've talked about 
on the show before studies showing that police perceive black children to be older than they are. They can't discern a 14-year-old from like a 21-year-old. And we have the stereotype that, you know, black girls are just more womanly and worldly and, and able to, you know, withstand the slings and arrows of the world. I think I talked about this anecdote on, uh, it might have been my first show where I was with coworkers a um, bunch of actors, actors in New York. We live in Harlem, a lot of us, because it's cheaper. Historically, we've moved here. And so well, a white guy that I worked with at a restaurant I was working at was talking about how, like, he was like, oh, my girlfriend goes home and she gets hollered at by all these guys. And she's just this little white girl. And I remember thinking, am I able to withstand, like, harassment and rape better than her because she's white? Like, does my vagina have teeth inside of it? I was so confused. Like, hearing that... And hearing that that's how people see things. Like, this is just something that you take and you're used to. And you, you are deserving of protection. That was so eye-opening. When you get to be in the room in those moments where people say things that are, in fact, quite racist, that they don't have no idea and would never think of themselves as a racist person. And so it's, it's that sort of impression that people have. And sadly, it's even within our own community. We've internalized this because it's, it's this cross-section of of, you know, this misogynoir, as people call it. It's this cross-section of racism and misogyny. And so that's how I'm seeing on the internet people writing about fast girls. Aaliyah was fast. She knew what she was doing. And then she dated this person. And this these girls know what they're doing. Know what they're doing. What are they doing? What are they doing? They're dating someone that thinks they think loves them. They're having sex. You know, if we also let go of the idea that sex is like, wrong but I also saw an interesting post where someone said stop teaching girls that sex is inextricably linked to love and then teaching boys that they need to go sow the royal oats because then you have young women thinking oh if he's has sex with me he loves me right and so then that's another that's another thing to manipulate within these women and so that is, you know, the, the blackness part, we can't take it out of the story because it has a lot to do with why these claims were ignored for so long. I find it really hard to believe that if there was a Pied Piper of disappearing white girls and making them disappear, that, that we, you know, that he would still be out of jail. You know, I saw there's still magazine articles in the grocery store about JonBenet Ramsey. Bless her soul. That's 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 just you're just not going to get that when a white girl is is in danger, people react differently. And we have we have scores. I I even I even saw that the uh, the most successful serial killer of all time, apparently, if if he's telling the truth, he's killed like 94 people. He essentially had to like come forward on his own. He kind of wasn't really caught. He was like, hey, guys, no one's paying attention to me. And he was a black man who had been killing um, black prostitutes in the South for like the past like. 50 years. So I told you it was dark, guys. I'm sorry. I tried to put the humor in the beginning. But in any case, that is why like the race part will keep coming up. And it also comes up in the defense of R. Kelly, uh, you know, people saying that there's a conspiracy against him. There's a conspiracy to take black men down, him and Cosby and blah, blah. And I say, all of you guys take a nap. Take a damn nap. If he's your role model, if someone who writes feeling on your booty is is the is the role model that you think the Illuminati or the Freemasons, whoever is going to take down and target to keep the black man down, then I'm embarrassed. I don't want you on my team like that. And but in seriousness, we need to stop fighting for the right to be as misogynist and, you know, to rape at will like like our white counterparts, like a white male counterparts do. That's not something, that's not equality. The right to oppress women without impunity, the, sorry, with impunity, is not equality. So we have to stop these, these specious arguments. It's so, so annoying. No one is out to get R. Kelly. He's out to get himself. And he has done a good job of, of, of escaping punishment for years. So yes, that's another very common trope on the internet that, I mean, and it is rooted in false accusations. The legal system has historically been stacked against us, and all of these things are true, but that doesn't mean that in the face of all of this evidence, and 
in the face of other black people accusing the person. That's the thing I don't get. Whenever we say, with Bill Cosby, the same thing. It's just, you know, the white man trying to take him down, et cetera, et cetera. But he also had black victims. So it's like at some point, we're just really going to have to decide whether we care about black women or not. We're just going to have to decide if the word of 5,000 black women is, and now managers, people that were, you know, co-conspirators, Males that, you know, security guards that witnessed all of this in the, in the documentary stacks up against the word of one black man. That's the decision we're going to have to make because it's getting kind of ridiculous. We can't really keep saying this. So the other intersection that I mentioned within this documentary was Me Too. There were some things that came up and some things that I've seen written about and said afterwards that really were like, okay, wow, this Me Too thing, we're not really grasping it yet. We're not all the way there yet. And even a little bit of just like arts shaming. So one thing R. Kelly would do is cruise the mall, a perfect place to find teenagers. And a lot of the girls that ended up with him and still today, some of them that are living with him in that house where they're essentially prisoners, are aspiring singers, aspiring singers and musicians. And I saw a lot on the internet about, you know, well, they just wanted to be famous. Okay, that's a that's an okay thing to want. They just wanted, you know, a career. They just wanted this. They just wanted that. Well, what did you think when you went away from him and when you were here, when you went there? And, you know, Sparkle, um, who's who was a singer who collaborated with him. She was another one of his protégés. And she is someone whose whole family has been destroyed by this and is being dragged now in the media also because she introduced her 14 year old niece to R. Kelly. She said her niece was a rapper. She was amazing. She introduced her niece to him and thought that she could keep a handle on things and keep an eye out. And 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 eventually the niece got out of her supervision, was under R. Kelly's sway, and later um, ended up being one of the people on the video that he went to trial about when she was 14. And the responses were so unsympathetic, again, on the internet for just the idea that these women, it was kind of like, well, what do you want with him? Why would you? And it's like, they want an opportunity. They want to pursue their dream. And they should be able to do that without having to fuck someone to do it. You know, if, just think about it this way. If Sparkles, if Sparkle had a nephew, people wouldn't be saying, well, you shouldn't have gone over to that recording studio. You know you're going to have to do anal if you want to get anywhere in this life. Like, it's just so annoying that as women, we have this second layer that we have to think about. We can't go out, you know, the people who are in power usually and calling the shots are men, and yet we can't go out to restaurants and have, you know, they they, they take each other out to drink and do all kinds of old boys club things like that for bonding. I've seen it myself. But we, and I'm, I'm speaking generally across many different industries right now, but we can't go, you know, do this or else is it a date? We can't do this or it means that we're available for sex. Why is any, none of that should ever be on the table. So I don't blame these girls for trying to connect with someone who they think could change their lives. And I just think it's kind of, I don't also know if there's an extra layer of cynicism for people even wanting to pursue something artistic and be singers anyway, because so much, you know, like they just want to be famous. They just want this, they just want, you don't know if they're like wanted to be on TMZ or in the tabloids, or if they genuinely wanted to sing and make music, which to me, you know, is beautiful, you know, the arts and music but like I don't I just don't know if there's a respect for that that I'm hearing and it's kind of sounds like oh well they're those are floozies anyway which you know historically you know actresses etc were like no considered no better than prostitutes in in recent times so I don't know if there's some you know vestigial like just disdain for the arts in general that I'm hearing in those arguments but it just made me so mad that you have as a woman have to think about this other thing like when you're networking and when you're trying to make your way and I saw someone on one of my Facebook friends and an actress right we have to teach our young girls that first of all it's just like 
it's just a sensitive time to watch that documentary and the right. We have to teach our young girls to, what if you just said something negative about him first? Just like, you know, it's like the, a reverse compliment sandwich. Like you learned in like, we learned in like writing in like elementary school, like, you know, or for essays too. Like first you say something um, positive, then you write your critique, then you write something else positive. Like reverse compliment sandwich. Just say R. Kelly ain't shit first and then say other stuff. But just people just being like the parents, the this, the that, the weather, the temperature. Like why not come for the source, which is like misogyny and the society that enabled this to go on. But we'll, we'll talk more about the enabling. But anyway, she said, this girl said, we need to teach our young girls that a dinner is not uh, an audition. A dinner is not a business meeting. No, sis, sometimes it is. That's the problem, is that sometimes it is. Nothing, you're just not in an office all the time. Not in every industry is in an office all the time. And it doesn't mean that you are supposed to have to give up sex. So as a performer, that was one thing that really like pulled to my heartstrings, which is that these girls are supposed to have to think about this secondary the secondary thing when they're when they're seeking out mentorship and seeking out a big break because i have experienced you know similarly like i remember when i my father died when i was 19 years old and there was this this switch that happened where like i had this amazing therapist that i wouldn't have graduated graduated college from without him and he he was like the male person in my life that like I could talk to. He would give me hugs. I don't, you're, you're probably not supposed to, but he was just like this beautiful soul. But this thing kept happening where I still thought of myself as like a daughter of the world, like older men, my dad's age, you know, are someone that maybe could be like a mentor figure. I just wasn't thinking about them in like a dating way, but I, they would all hit on me. Like I would keep you know, meeting people in different capacities who I thought were someone who could give me advice. And the thing they wanted from me was sexual every single time. And it just became like rare, like I, or a boon if I can meet like an older man who didn't. And so it, that was just this moment where I'm like, oh, now I have to know that, you know, I, I'm not like a kid. I'm not just like a People just want my best interest and me thriving in the world. And I can't just, you know, seek out these relationships. And, you know, like they teach us to do at school. I am someone who like sex is the thing that I have to offer people. That's that's what they want from me. It's a really awkward, strange lesson to learn. And you're blessed if as I can't if 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 you learn it in like kind of like a bubble like I do like I did, and you don't have to actually have that taken from you and have someone come in and, and like blur that ground and then take it from you. But on the other hand, like I would have moved into a Maxwell probably could have convinced me to move into a dungeon because teenagers have crushes. So the, you know, any way you look at it, the older person is the one that's praying. And I don't know why, people are having a hard time assigning that blame properly other than to say that we imbue this kind of advanced sexuality and temptation thing and immorality and and you know demon succubus dynamic onto young teenage girls women young women black women okay we're going to take a quick break let's get some one days in here Wendy's, we don't know why you need them, but we'll take your money. So the last portion of, or rather the last like bullet point that I think this documentary highlighted for me and people's reactions highlighted for me um, was just that domestic violence. We don't really get it. We don't really care. So if R. Kelly was in relationships with people his own age... That wouldn't make any of this okay because he still beat them and locked them in closets and denied them food. So we just have to decide, do we believe women at all? Do we believe anything they say? Do we believe young girls? Do we believe teenage girls? Do we believe, do we believe adults? Because the, all the evidence is there that everything is wrong. 
everything is wrong. And it, 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 you know, consent or not consent. So you consent to be in a relationship with someone, but you don't consent to being abused. So his ex-wife, Andrea Kelly, they were married for about seven years, I believe. And they have two children together, maybe three. I haven't seen the children much. I don't haven't seen them on interviews. Did I see that? I think I saw them on one. But she has been telling her story and it's really, really, really sad and traumatic. She got married to him when she was 19. She was his backup dancer. And as, you know, a standard story of abuse, it started out very, um, you know, romantic. It was, it was a deep loving relationship. It seemed at first they had a connection, you know, he opened up to her about his trouble in his past and his insecurity over not being able to read. And if there's any like backhanded, like thing I can say, like, we got to teach our girls. I was like, we got to teach our girls to not think it's sweet when a man tells you that he doesn't know how to read. But I'm just being a bitch. I'm sorry to everyone involved. But, you know, she, he opened up to her, which, and they had psychologists on the show, which was interesting, you know, to break down, you know, the steps of abuse, which is like sharing a trauma makes, creates a bond with someone. So, you know, I, I give you a little bit of my trauma, then you feel like you're closer to me. You feel connected to me. You want to take care of me. And then I have a hook into you. So they said that was kind of most likely a tactic he was using so they get married and as soon as they get married things start to change he forbids her from speaking to other people and you know the abuse starts you didn't make my pancakes right the edges aren't crispy so you're getting smacked in the face things like that and so so often we have all you know if you think about it whose personal lives do we get to know about usually um who's can we comment on as a group it's celebrities right celebrities are what famous, rich. So every time there's a woman that's being abused, we basically end up saying, oh, she's a gold digger. She's only with him for the money. She's doing this. She's doing that. So it's just like we have all these stories like in the NFL. I feel like every day a video of a woman getting pushed down the stairs or something comes out. And yet the backlash against her is always strong equally strong saying well why is she with him well I just I would do this I wouldn't stay in I just I wouldn't go back and I don't know why and but you do you don't have to not know why because the information is out there it's you know once you love someone it's very hard to get away people try seven times to get away from their abusers and a lot of people who end up in these situations you've been manipulated and you've been broken down so far and you already loved the person first that's the big thing so it's not like they just start out in the beginning showing their ass like this. So I, I don't, I'm sure that my target audience is not people that don't understand how domestic violence works. But the thing that really bothers me with a lot of the things that I was reading from his supporters is just that there's so many things that you can, if you want to dispute everything else, if you want to say teenage girls are fast, if you want to say that so-and-so is a gold digger, whom do you believe deserves to be tied up as Andrea Kelly was, you know, trussed up with her legs tied to her arms like a pig, she said, like an animal and just left there for hours and that she got out because he forgot about her. And she eventually is a flexible dancer and worked her way out of her her rope. You know, she she almost committed, she attempted suicide, I think twice, but she almost jumped from a building when she found out about his his child pornography allegations. And then the really interesting thing was, in a moment of shade that I appreciated, she said, so, you know, she found out about all the other girls he was keeping around and everything else. And she was like, and flying here and flying there and flying on tour and staying in this hotel and different houses around the country. And she she didn't know this, this was going on. And I, first of all, I get it because she was probably keep, I mean, you're literally keeping your head down physically keeping your head down you you are being isolated from the outside world and controlled so you're not you're not seeing what's going on you're 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 at time and emotions is really wrapped up in making sure that this person doesn't go off on you that's what happens when you're walking on eggshells but also she said i i wonder you know R. Kelly, you know, she said not to be funny, which you only say when you're about to be funny, but he can't read that well. So who was buying all these flights? And then I realized he had help. 
And that is the disgusting part. He had an army of help, and he still does to this day. Um, he even has friends in the police department that of Chicago. So when, or sorry, this was in Atlanta, where his like cult sex dungeon house is. So some of the parents who are very, very active in the media of trying to get their daughters who are living with him back right now and having trouble because they're 17 and they're basically the age of consent, um, they sent police to do wellness visits at the house and the wellness visits came back okay or everyone vacated the premises before the police came because uh, R. Kelly has friends in the police department. So this goes deep as it does, as it usually does with, with rich, powerful men. Um, but that was just the thing, my, my plaintive cry to people who are dismissing everything else like at the end of the day do you do you think that there's a line of abuse do you think women should be treated this way if so this is a bad dude this is a bad person like how how many different ways can we find to excuse this so before we wrap up i'll just say i mean there is an interesting conversation to be had about separating the artist from the music i don't i i personally i think it's a deep conversation um I think it's one that will deprive us of so much art if we followed it out because a lot of stories people are now bringing up about, you know, a lot of influential men who've engaged in the same behavior. And what I will say is I haven't listened to his music in years. Him singing, I'm, I'm sure of some things that he's produced, I've written, have slipped through the cracks. Ugh, Fortunate, Fortunate by Maxwell is an art, it was written by R. Kelly. Um, and I, I've, I've listened to that recently. Um, I personally haven't turned his music on I just stopped like a long time ago. So it's just like you just get in the habit of not doing it. Um, I don't think that a lot of people are able to separate that. I think it's something we talk about. But I think that liking something that someone creates engenders goodwill towards them. And if it were that easy to separate, I don't think we'd be where we are right now. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying, you know, everyone needs to... I, I hope everyone stops doing stuff that sends him money, like stop streaming things. You know, if you have a CD left, do that instead. Okay, that's it for me. Thanks for sticking with it while we go through some uncomfortable and disturbing topics. I love to hear your thoughts, your feedback, who you had to break up with or cancel because of this debate. And you can email me at cakeandkombucha at gmail.com. Um, and I would love to start reading some comments, questions on the air. So please, please do that. Um, and that's it. Have a great week and I will talk to you soon. Cake and Kombucha is recorded on location in Harlem. It is produced by me, Kalechi Azie, and Jason Torres. It features music by Melanie J.B. Charles. If you'd like to hear more of her music, please check her out on Spotify or go to melaniejbcharles.com. Is it me that I love? Is it